today we are actually concluding uh, our three-part series uh, titled Hope Remains. And um, for some reason, it's always the conclusion of a series that I always look forward to. Uh, not for the sheer fact that it's over and you know I don't have to talk about it anymore, uh, but for the fact that I'm able to wrap everything up and hopefully paint the bigger picture for you and so that everything that we've been talking about, uh, all those pieces will come together and it'll make much more sense. Uh, and that is my hope and my prayer. And if I fail to do that, I am terribly sorry. Uh, but uh, today is the opportunity in which I can try to complete some kind of picture, bigger picture for you, uh, as we've studied uh, through this small book of Zephaniah. Uh, now, Zephaniah, uh, whether you've been listening to us or not for the past two weeks, three weeks or so, or if you're just tuning in today for the first time, um, I'm sure and I pray that you will be blessed in whatever capacity, in whatever way. Now, the book of Zephaniah is found in the Old Testament. It's a very small three-chapter book uh, that most of the time gets overlooked because it is a small uh, book of the Bible. Uh, but just to summarize what we've been talking about, two weeks ago, we kind of opened up and talked about the background of our prophet Zephaniah. Uh, we discovered that blood runs through his, or not blood runs through his veins, uh, royalty uh, runs through his veins, right? So he's connected with King Hezekiah, who was the 13th king of the kingdom of Judah and was known to be one of the few only good kings that the kingdom of Judah ever had, right? King Hezekiah restored temple worship and he abolished uh, idol, or idol worship and he really worked hard to get the kingdom uh, together. And we find our prophet uh, Zephaniah related to King Hezekiah. And then we talked about how uh, Zephaniah summarized the three sins of Judah as idolatry, polytheism, and an indifference towards God. And we dug in a little deeper about that. Uh, and we also talked about the ideal of the day of the Lord and how the day of the Lord is perceived in the Revelation and the Old Testament as this kind of scary, not really a day you want to look forward to type of day. Uh, but then we realized and we discovered in two, we or two weeks ago in our sermon uh, that the reality is, is that day is a day of celebration. It's a day of, of joyful uh, uh, celebration uh, in which God is our redeemer and God is the victor over our oppression. And so it's a day that we can look forward to as long as we align ourselves with the will of God and understand what he wants for us in our lives. Uh, and then last week, um, uh, we talked a little bit about the remnant that Zephaniah mentions in uh, chapter 2, verse 9. And we talked about this ideal of the remnant and what that means and what God can do uh, with the remnant. Um, and then we talked a little bit more about this ideal of judgment. And now this is not, you know, my repeat of sermons about Jonah or anything else. But we talked a little bit more about uh, judgment and the ideal of repentance and how repentance works uh, and how it's so important that when it comes to repentance, we uh, first have to acknowledge what we need to repent for. And that's one of the beginning first stages uh, of the whole idea of repentance. And we kind of dug into that, and that's kind of where I left you guys. Uh, now this week, we're going to conclude, obviously, our series uh, about Zephaniah. And we're going to be talking about the last chapter, uh, which I think is by far the most powerful and personally one of my favorite chapters of the book of Zephaniah. And maybe out of all the minor prophets, uh, chapter 3 of Zephaniah really is such a powerful uh, uh, chapter. And so hopefully you can see why I uh, am so in love with it and hopefully you can fall in love with it as well. 
Now, uh, just as I said, the book of Zephaniah can be broken down into three parts. And so we're going to be wrapping up with the third part and we're going to look at chapter three. Um, and uh, let's start with verse one and let's read from verse one to verse eight. So Zephaniah chapter three, verse one to eight. And this is what the Bible says. It says, Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted, to the oppressing city. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. Her princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are, e are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning. Her prophets are insolent, treacherous people. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The Lord is righteous in her mind. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He never fails, but the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their fortresses are devastated. I have made their streets desolate with uh, none passing by. Their cities are destroyed. There is no one, no inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will receive instruction so that their, her dwelling would not be cut off despite everything for which I punished her. But they rose early and corrupted all their deeds. Verse 8, Therefore wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations, to assemble to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. Now, first of all, uh, I hope you didn't notice that I didn't say verse 1 to 7. And many of your Bibles have already been sectioned off in this manner, where it cuts off at 7 and then verse 8 is the beginning of another uh, section. Uh, but I just want you to know that I, you know, I wasn't like, uh, you know, like staying up late at night or I wasn't, you know, uh, just making up random numbers, but I did that very intentionally. Uh, but something that we have to know, just kind of uh, background information, that in your Bibles, all the verses, all the chapters, all the subtitles, or the sub the section headings, all of these things were added much later um, and were not part of the original manuscripts. And so, I know this becomes a little confusing at times, but if you look at the original language in the Old Testament, if you look at the original Hebrew and you look at the Greek uh, for the New Testament, you'll notice that like punctuations, verses, chapters, uh, all of these things don't come until much later uh, in our church's history. And so this is something that man looks at and interprets and puts together and they phrase certain things and put things into certain uh, sections according to what they believe uh, was best at that time. Uh, but for some reason, as I studying this and most scholars would agree uh, that verse 1 to 8 actually makes more sense in terms of the phrasing uh, and you'll see why and we're going to talk about that a little bit more but I just wanted to make sure that was clear uh, and you know I'm not you know tripping or you know uh, phrasing you know in weird ways or anything but you'll see anyways uh, so last week if you remember uh, our passage was chapter 2 verse 4 to 15 and we find this theme of a God that's upset uh, that God's not really happy with the nations uh, who are the neighbors of the kingdom of Judah and then two weeks ago we talked about how God calls out the sins and he's obviously not upset with the kingdom of Judah itself and he puts them on blast. And I think it's interesting because when we come to chapter 3, Zephaniah is returning back to the message of God's anger and wrath 
towards uh, uh, Judah, uh, the kingdom of Judah, but more specifically now, the kingdom or the city, the capital city of uh, Jerusalem. Now, I realized after doing the first two parts of the series, I didn't clarify this and I don't think uh, I made it very clear, but Jerusalem is the capital of the kingdom of Judah. Uh, and, and so I think maybe it would, may have been a little confusing about what is Judah? Like, is Judah a person? Uh, is it just a group of people? Like, what is it? And so just to put a little bit of perspective to it, Jerusalem is the capital city. And so what God is doing here in chapter 3, uh, he's now pinpointing even closer to the capital city of Jerusalem, which was considered uh, the hub or the center of um, the, the city and especially for worship. Uh, and so God starts bigger picture, talks about the kingdom of Judah, and then narrows it down to uh, the people that are found in the capital city of Jerusalem. Um, but anyways, uh, I think this is super interesting and we're going to take a little bit of time to look into this. So start with verse one and two. If you look at verse one and two, you see that Zephaniah is saying that the city is rebellious. The city is polluted and it's a city of oppressing, right? Or it's a city that oppresses others. Now, uh, also Jerusalem is uh, a city that doesn't obey his voice, doesn't heed correction, uh, does not trust in the Lord and does not draw near to God. Now, if you just heard this description alone, talking about a city that is, is struggling with these things and not doing certain things, man, like this is pretty intense. If you just looked at this, you would think that this is some kind of pagan city or some kind of city like Sodom and Gomorrah that absolutely did not want anything to do with God. This is the kind of tone and the narrative that we find here as Zephaniah is sharing. And this breaks my heart. And let me explain to you why this breaks my heart. First of all, rebellion or to be rebellious, you have to understand that if you want to be rebellious or in order to be rebellious, there has to be something or someone to rebel against, right? So in the case of Jerusalem, that very thing that they're rebelling against is God and his words, right? It's his words and the calling that they have or God has for his people, they're rebelling against them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, especially when I was growing up, I was, uh, I would like to call myself the king of rebellion. Uh, and I'm not proud of this, uh, but to my parents, to my school teachers, Bible teachers, literally anyone and everyone that I would run into, uh, I would find some way to rebel against them. Why? You know, that's another story for uh, another sermon. But the common theme that I, as I thought about rebel, uh, rebellion, the common theme in those that rebel uh, is that there's a sense of whether it be hatred, whether it be some kind of anger, disagreement, or maybe there's something like wanting to gain more power or have the upper hand over somebody. There's many different motives, but those seem to be the common theme of why someone would rebel, right? Um, and the people of Jerusalem, who are the people of God, have come to this point of rebellion. And that's, that's heartbreaking, right? Like, what, what are they trying to get out of God, right? What, what is their problem against God? Now, pollution, uh, Zephaniah describes the, king, uh, the city of Jerusalem as a city uh, filled with pollution. And we're not talking about like LA, LA air, you know, the air quality pollution type thing. But we're talking about the pollution that has affected the hearts of the people of Jerusalem. Now, let me share with you a little bit about what's happening now in the city of Jerusalem that gets God to, uh, or the prophet Zephaniah, to relay this message of God uh, that they're wicked, polluted, uh, corrupt group of people. 
First of all, there were uh, crimes, just brutal, terrible crimes that the people were taking against their own people. It wasn't even like people outside of their city, but it was the very people within their city gates, right? And there's men attacking other men, they're stealing possessions, they're taking advantage of people. Ultimately, they're just oppressing people. But if you remember like hundreds of years back, and I think this is super ironic, that these people were the very people that were once the ones that were being oppressed, right? They were the ones that were in a foreign land being oppressed by a foreign people in the lands of Egypt. And then God calls them out of this oppression and frees them from the slavery and the oppression that they faced for so many years. And then God specifically tells them, hey, never oppress. Uh, since you were oppressed, don't oppress others, Right. Like, don't oppress strangers, don't oppress your brothers and sisters. You know, everyone is supposed to be free. And this is the message that God relays to these people after they're taken out of that oppression. But we find here, hundreds of years down the road, that, that this nation, who was once severely oppressed, is now the ones that are doing the impression. And you would think that a nation that has experienced oppression would not oppress other people, right? You would think naturally, like, if that's happened to you, why would you do that to, to others? And now, this is it. Zephaniah is calling them out because they have found themselves in this position, which makes absolutely no sense, right? Now, what about us? How different are we today? Are we any different? Now, I would say that... that uh, that we are not too different than the people of Jerusalem in the time of Zephaniah, right? That we too have hearts that have been polluted. Our people have hearts that are filled with this pollution. That we have become the oppressor when we forget that we were once the ones who were oppressed. And this is very, this could be very subtle. This could be very straightforward. But I feel like we as a people have found ourselves in this kind of pollution uh, in our lives. Now, look at verse 2. Uh, let's just keep going. Uh, Jerusalem has not obeyed God's voice. Now, uh, his voice, what Zephaniah is referring to, is obviously God's voice. And we may look at this and say, like, okay, Pastor, that's straightforward. But when I was reading this, one thing that, that kind of caught my attention or made me really rethink was uh, that Jerusalem was a very special city, right? Uh, be not because they were not listening to the voice of God, but they had an opportunity that no one else could ever have. And guess what that is? That's the opportunity and the ability to even hear God's voice, right? The city of Nineveh, they didn't have that privilege. The city of Cush, uh, uh, Ammon, right? These other pagan cities, the Philistine cities, none of these cities had the opportunity to hear God's voice. But the city of Jerusalem is able to hear the voice of God. Yet, they didn't listen. They didn't hear. They chose not to listen and rebel against God. Like, that is so mind-blowing for me. And like, it's just a bunch of question marks, right? If I could just put a bunch of question marks floating around my head, this is what I see, right? That these people have the ability to even just hear the word of God. Yet, they choose not to listen to the word of God. And that is just mind-blowing to me. And how unfortunate and how real is that message to the people of Jerusalem? How real is that to us today? 
to us in 2020, where we have this opportunity, where we have the opportunity to dive into God's Word, to spend time with God, to listen to His calling for our lives. But how much or how often do we find ourselves hearing this message ringing to us in 2020 and simply ignoring it or simply putting it below us or putting it to the side and refusing to listen to that? Zephaniah is clearly pushing all the buttons he can today. And this sermon may seem very uh, sad and depressing, uh, but we've only just begun. So, uh, Jerusalem, you know, verse 2, hasn't received correction, hasn't trusted in God, hasn't drawn near to Him. Like, this is, you know, I I don't even think I need to explain any further. But this is a very sad scene that we see uh, the city of Jerusalem in. And I think the fact that Jerusalem, over so many years had so many opportunities to trust in God, to draw near to God, to hear His correction. The fact that they had so many opportunities to do so, yet refused to take any of those opportunities, is so bizarre. And I think we're no different uh, today in the year 2020. Let's carry on. Verse 3 and 4, we see that Zephaniah is now calling out his own kind of people. Uh, Those that are in power, those that have authority, um, and even he's calling out the prophets. Now, this is really interesting. Uh, Princes, judges, prophets, priests, the leaders uh, of the nation in both a national level and a spiritual level. And this is really interesting, as I shared with you two weeks ago, that this message would have been more powerful or more impactful to especially those that are in leadership. Because especially here, we find that Zephaniah is now calling out those very people for the sins and the corruption that they have fallen uh, into. This is what's happening. These very people that are in leadership, okay, Zephaniah's kind of people, are Uh, supposed to represent the people, supposed to help the people, to be a voice for the people. Uh, But instead, they're using their own power and their own authority to their advantage and their gain. Rather than shepherding the people, they're literally feasting on the people. And as it said in verse, I think it was verse 4, it was saying that, um, or verse 3, the judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone till the morning. Like they're devouring their people and not leaving anything. Them, right? So we see that even the people that are supposed to be leading the nation uh, are failing to do their job. And I think it's interesting, but his point uh, gives, or this point, or who he is as a person gives so much more validity to him calling out these kinds of people. If you think about other prophets like Amos uh, and different like prophets that are, are from a line of prophets or even just a common everyday average Joe like Amos was, um, but Zephaniah is coming from a line of royalty. He's not coming from, from this, this you know, farm town. He's not coming from any odd place, but he's coming directly from the leadership, from the top. And he's calling out and not holding back any of the judgment that God has for these people as well. Uh, in verse 5, Zephaniah continues, but then it's here in verse 5 where we start to see little glimmers of hope, and this will carry out. Uh, for the rest of this chapter. Verse 5 says, The Lord is righteous in her midst. Uh, He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light, but he never fails. But the unjust unjust knows no shame. Now, uh, look at this. Okay, Despite the injustice, despite the sin, and the evil that's going on in this city of Jerusalem, Zephaniah is stating that God is still yet in their midst. 
that God is still there despite all the messed up things that are happening. And as God is in their midst, God is constantly and continually doing what is right. Now, I think there's fascinating language that uh, I think would be a little bit uh, helpful for you guys as well um, that Zephaniah uses here in verse 5. This phrase, every morning, or this language of every morning, is a phrase that's commonly used to describe the rituals or the regularity of the sacrifices in which people would have to conduct every day. Um, And if you know, the sacrifices were a way of of bringing their repentance to God and their their sin and uh, asking God for forgiveness through the means of uh, a sacrifice. And so this same language that Zephaniah uses, he's using this in the sense that God uh, is going to bring justice and he's going to do what is right and he's going to be there for the people every day just as the people are supposed to be doing this uh, for the forgiveness of their sin. Now, this is something that they did literally every day. And God, he's saying that God is going to be the same figure to do the same thing every day. He's going to do what is right. He's going to be present for you every day. And he will, uh, look at the last part, he will never fail, right? Uh, He will never fail. And that's the beautiful promise that we can hold on to. And what's great is that it implies that God never fails, but not only for those that believe in God, that take part in these daily offerings, but also for those that don't believe in God, right? And it's kind of the unfortunate thing. Uh, it says, but the unjust knows no shame, that in, even though God does this for people that don't believe, uh, because they do not believe, unfortunately, they have no conception of what's going on for them. But the message is very clear that God is consistently, daily, going to be there for you, going to be there for the people of Jerusalem, and without fail, He's going to do what is right. Now, um, it kind of sounds uh, sad, but we're going to keep going. Uh, There's still hope. Uh, And this is why I really like this chapter. Uh, Verse 6, we find now God is speaking at the mic, right? The tables have changed. Uh, Zephaniah has passed the mic to God. And now God is speaking in uh, the first person. Now, I was looking at uh, verse 7. And when I was studying this, I found something very, very interesting, actually. uh, And kind of crazy that shows the insight of, of how far the people of Jerusalem have kind of fallen off the edge. Uh, It says, uh, well, or to summarize, surely you will fear me, you will receive instruction. Uh, This phrase, uh, fear me, first of all, isn't like, you know, to be afraid of God, uh, but rather to show respect, right? To revere, to uphold God, and to take Him seriously, right? And this was something that was actually common practice for the people of Israel. This is this ideal of, of, of fearing God and receiving instruction. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 3, verse 9 to 13, we're not going to actually read through it. Uh, But if you want to take the time to look at it later, I encourage you to do so. But there's record that what Moses would do is he commanded the people that every seven years, uh, the Levitical priests uh, would read the law and the covenant of God, right, between God and the people. And by doing so, it was supposed to be a reminder uh, to all the people to uphold the commandments, uh, and to remember the promises, but ultimately to listen and to learn 
to fear the Lord, right? The whole purpose of doing this every seven years, it was just a reminder to say, hey, like, remember, like, what we're doing or why we're here and why we're, you know, lucky to be alive. Like, remember these things. And every seven years was uh, the time to do that, to fear Him and to receive instruction. Now, very clearly, if we look at the state of where Jerusalem is in uh, and what Zephaniah has kind of laid out already, They must have lost track of time because uh, seven years has clearly gone by and they have not been reminded uh, and they've kind of forgotten uh, who they were as people, right? Um, And the leaders clearly have forgotten to fear the Lord. Now, if you notice, uh, the tone of verse 8, and the reason why I phrased it this way is because the tone of verse 8 kind of carries on from the rest. And then you'll see in verse 9, it's a total kind of change. Um, But you'll notice that God's wrath... Uh, is going to be poured out, right? So we see in verse 8 that God is angry, uh, God is upset, and God is saying that uh, all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy, and it just kind of ends right there. And we have to realize that, uh, I think the takeaway from this is that no matter what, God's wrath is going to be poured out, right? This is the inevitable. It's going to happen now, right? And unfortunately, uh, God doesn't mention anything about turning back or things are going to change or it's not going to happen. And in this biblical context, uh, it's interesting because this does become the reality, right? As we know in in history, uh, the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed, right? Not once, but multiple times. Uh, The most notable one that we usually remember or think about is the the second temple destruction in 70 uh, AD. Uh, But the one that's closer to this context here Uh, was uh, during the year 587 BC. And I think this is fascinating because uh, 100 years prior to that destruction is when we get the timeline of when Zephaniah was uh, most likely relaying this message to the people. Um, And so, yes, maybe for younger people it was in their lifetime. Uh, Maybe for older people, not so much. Uh, But we see that this does become the reality, that God's wrath is going to come. And as God said, it was going to happen, right? Now, uh, after I took so much time talking about the first one, uh, first section of chapter three, uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about the second section now. Um, And this is where the dust kind of begins to settle. And this is where we find that hope still remains. And I know it sounds kind of crazy after seeing all the judgment and all the craziness that just happened, but just trust me and let's go on this journey together. Okay. Zephaniah 3 verse 9 to 13. Zephaniah 3 9 to 13. This is what it says. For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones shall bring my offering. And that day you shall not be shamed for any of your deeds in which you have in which you transgress against me. For then I will take away from the mist, from your mist, those who rejoice in your pride, uh, and and you shall no longer be haughty in the in my holy mountain. Verse twelve. I will leave in your presence or in your mist a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. Now God here is continuing this language in the first uh, uh, in the first person, um, and we find that the very per- uh, very purpose of what God's judgment is going to do. Right? God doesn't say He's going to pull back the judgment. He allows the judgment to carry through, but but God is using judgment 
as a way in which he brings us into restoration. Now, God's message begins very clearly that he's going to restore the people. Uh, and not just some, not just the people of Jerusalem, but now God is encompassing all people, right? Um, and he's talking about the neighbors. He's talking about Jerusalem itself. All people will be restored, right? So God's point of judgment is very clear in the book of Zephaniah. God wants to bring all people to him, both Jew and Gentile alike, to not just call on the name of the Lord in their words, but also in their lifestyle, in their actions, right? God is looking for this total revival and this total uh, or 180 change uh, of people. And the hope that God is giving continues in verse 11, where he says that the shame will now be removed, right? Their shame is now removed. God is saying that there will be a day in which our shame, the shame in which we've defiled God, the shame in which that came from us turning our backs on Him, the shame that comes from the sin that infests the life that we live, God is going to take all of that away. Our pride, our arrogance, God is saying all of these things will be gone. You see, God, going, God is going to take us and renew us. God is not going to leave us as broken, inept creatures, but God is going to leave us as new, meek, and humble people. Now you see, this is the process of restoration, and this is what we kind of alluded to last week. This is why God renders a judgment, which leads to our repentance, because the whole point of us, our, the point of it is to restore us um, and ultimately to refine us. Malachi 3, uh, verse 2 to 3 actually describes this, uh, and this is what it says. It says, But who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire, and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Now, I've heard you've, you've sh- I've heard of this before, and this may be a familiar kind of concept, uh, but I just want to make sure that you guys understand this concept of refining, right? So first of all, refining is a process that's used uh, to remove any impurities found in, 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 a, in metals, right? And in the fire, in the heat of the fire, right, the impure metals are refined, and the heat purifies it, which makes it pure, like taking out all of its impurities, So you see, through judgment, God isn't just trying to make us miserable, as we may perceive it to be or we may feel it to be, uh, but rather God is preparing us. God is purifying us. God is refining us for His glory and His honor. And in Zephaniah, it's very clear that this is what God wants to do for not some, but for all people. He wants to refine us. And He wants to purify us. You see, this tone is now starting to change where we see a very beautiful picture of what God is really trying to do and the hope that God instills in us despite the punishment that we see. Now, let's go into the final part now. Uh, and for the sake of time, uh, we're going we're gonna to run through this really quickly. But this is probably by far my most favorite section of the book of Zephaniah. And I think it's the most beautifully ended uh, prophet or minor prophet book uh, um, that, that I can think of and that I've studied thus far. Uh, that may change, I, I don't know, but uh, this one in particular, this last uh, six verses, man, is the most beautiful finale that you will ever see. Um, 
Let's read together uh, Zephaniah 3, 14 to 20. And this is what it says. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly, who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at at that time I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who are driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. At that time I will bring you back, even at the time I gathered you. For I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. Man, you guys, this is by far the most moving and, and, and inspiring description of God's love for His people. And I think it's just so poetically written, uh, and this is the biblical uh, nerd that's coming out of me now. Uh, but this is such a beautiful example of God's love uh, for us. Now, there's three different expressions that God, uh, Zephaniah is using um, that describe celebration. And those three are this. It's to sing, to shout, and to be glad, and to rejoice. You see, Zephaniah is calling God's people to now sing this song of celebration, right? To look past the punishment, to look past the judgment that God is rendering, and to remember that there is still a, a rainbow sitting in the horizon. That there are still reasons for us to celebrate. My favorite verse and the scripture reading for today, Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. This is the God that we serve, you guys. Right? God is with us. Right? He is in our midst. He will save us, that mighty one. And so beautifully, this is, this is the beautiful part. It says that He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. And He will rejoice over you with singing. This is the beautiful thing, you guys. is that the object of God's love is none other than you. You are the object of God's love. Despite the judgment, despite the gloom that we may see in in God's rendering of this judgment to all nations and to His own people, the whole point of God doing so, this is it right here. God is saying that, man, it's for you, it's because I love you that I'm doing all of this. Even if you mess up, even if you spit in His face, Even if you rebel against God and choose not to listen to His words, even if it comes to the point of you rejecting God altogether, God has a love that constantly sings out to you. And this is the hope that Zephaniah leaves us with. And I think this is a beautiful reminder 
that that yes, there's this always misconception that God is angry in the Old Testament, that God is after our heads, and you know God just wants worship and praise and honor. You must love me, right? Uh, we get this very negative image, and I think most of the time, if we just take the time to look at these messages of wrath and doom, but look at the end of these, especially minor prophets' message, we'll see very clearly that God is doing this simply out of His love for us, and that. Like the God of this universe, man, I think this is like this verse is just so fascinating that there is a God that wants to sing over you, right? That that God is a God that that wants to like a mother holding their child that's crying and singing them a lullaby, right? To calm them. Like God wants to do that for us. As we cry in our sin, as we complain and fight and argue against the God of this universe, God just wants to hold us and sing to us to calm us down and to tell us, hey, like I love you, right? To me, that image is just so beautiful that there is a God that is willing to do such a thing for us. And I think in light of this, this hope that we can hold on to, that when we see the judgment, when we see this, this call to repentance, when we see maybe this kind of scary like reality that, that our church and our world is facing, yet in the midst of that, Zephaniah paints this picture of a God that we can still hold on to, that we can still celebrate, because we know that if we are in line with Him, that there is a beautiful hope that remains for us. And this is the challenge, I believe, that Zephaniah is leaving us today. Yes, judgment may be scary. Yes, it doesn't look very uh, uh, pleasing and nothing that we want to all deal with. But if we are aligned with God, if we take the time to realign ourselves with Him, then we can see a different picture of a God who wants to hold us, a God that wants to sing to us, a God that wants to remind us and coo us and woo us with His love. You see, church, despite our faults, despite the fact that we may hold on to the sins of this world, despite the fact of a judgment and the reality of a judgment that we may have to face, I pray that we can hold on to this hope, this hope that will, will lead us to this grand reunion with the Heavenly Father. And if we hold on to this hope, as Zephaniah sings out this song, that we also can sing out this song to Jesus. You see, church, as we look at the realities of our world today, I think this message is so much more prevalent and relevant, or re uh, relevant uh, to us in 2020. As we get this wake-up call, as we get stuck to our homes and take the time to reflect, like this message... And this, this prophet, Zephaniah, teaches us and reminds us of how deep the Father's love is for all of us. And I pray as we reflect and understand and look at how much God really does love us, that we can hold on to this hope. So when this is all over, that we can celebrate together, whether it be here on this earth or in the heavenly home. Let's pray. <music>